0: Hello, and welcome to Data Endures February Tech Talk. I'm Kirsten Burke, and I am joined by Data Endures Chief Technology Officer and Chief Information Security Officer, Shane Peruse. Hi, everyone. Hello. Um, we wanted to hop on um, the World Economic Forum bandwagon, if you will. Um, one really interesting element coming out of their time together was the global cybersecurity outlook for 2023. And we track a lot of different information that comes out of all sorts of different um, research and reports and forums. And so we just wanted to take a little time to unpack what the World Economic Forum was talking about. Um, A Couple of high level data points that probably reflect the fear and uncertainty that a lot of people have. 98% 98% of those that were surveyed and, and, and involved in this were saying that they believe that within the next two years, they've got a good degree of, of certainty or confidence that there will be some sort of far-reaching um, catastrophic event, cyber events within the next two years. And separately, but... but um, kind of tangential to that, where 43% of those folks surveyed believe that something um, cyber-related would materially affect their operations. And so as we look at the world today, right, not just someone's organization, but the world is really looking at cybersecurity um, being very serious and being something that, at a global level, we really need to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, it's, um, as part of, as, as, Kirsten was saying, as part of what we do, we're kind of the stewards of our customer security. We have to go out and evaluate tools, technologies, um, products, processes, methodologies, and approaches to taking, excuse me, best actions in security to help our customers protect their environment. But in parallel to that, we also have to be aware of what is the uh, industry mood, tense, Mm -hmm. uh, feeling, what is the global feeling? What is going on in the world? What is happening both in terms of threats, which are pretty important to our operations, but also in terms of the economic factors. So we do look at how do we help our customers with their economic uh, uh, projecting of tools and technologies they acquire, implement services they acquire and implement. But we also look at what does the world say From an economic perspective and because of that we look at the World Economic Forum pretty closely every year. This is the January report as you can see it's quite thick Um, and this one was the global Cybersecurity outlook for 23 that came out in January. And as Kirsten said, there's a lot of interesting data and we'll we'll have this as a link um, uh, so anybody who's interested in reading it can go read it. There's a lot of interesting data that came from the executives both on the cyber and business side of, of this report. Uh, the uh, one of my um, one of my favorite quotes that came out of it were from Warren Buffett, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that was tied to a metric that said it is projected that they. Uh, and I remember at the beginning of COVID, somebody said that the um, cybersecurity or the cybercrime uh, cost to business was going from one point two or one point three um, a billion. I uh, oh no, 6 billion, excuse me, 6 billion to 3 trillion. And we all shook our heads and said, there's no way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Guess what? It's three years later and it's 3 trillion right now. And now they're saying in 23 that it will go from 3 trillion to 10.5 trillion. So tripling again in terms of where the cost of cybercrime will affect businesses uh, in the United States and globally in, in relation. So, um, by 2025, by the way, in two years, they expect a tripling of cybercrime costs. But uh, Warren Buffett uh, said that um, he calls cybercrime the number one problem with mankind, and cyber attacks a bigger threat to humanity than nuclear weapons. And in many ways, he's not wrong. If we, if we go back to all of the events that have happened, the pipelines that have been attacked, the nuclear facilities that have been attacked uh, globally, the attacks that are happening in the ukraine today there's there's massive state nation state attacks from a cybersecurity perspective on other nation states and there's a lot of both political and uh, military leaders that believe the next battlefield could be cyberspace and that is you know one of the things that stands out from a cybersecurity professional perspective is we need to think about how these global impacts influence the decisions we make about how we protect, govern, secure, all that. Um, I remember um, 15, 20 years ago um, our knots used to have the global map up with uh, weather and what was happening globally so that we understood the impact to locations mm-hmm. um, that were close to the data centers mm-hmm. where we housed information. It's a very different map that we have up today in our security operations center. It is the global threat map, meaning, where are attacks coming from and where are they going to and where are they most uh, focused so that if we have a customer in a region of the world that is being heavily attacked, we can pay more attention to the attacks that are coming in. So it's um, the the world has certainly shifted from an operational mindset to a security mindset. And that comes across in these metrics. Um, There's there's three things that really stood out for me. Um, One of them from a business perspective was that um, geopolitical issues are harder to respond to. And because of that, business leaders have decided that they're going to weigh that in where they do business globally. Mm-hmm. So um, geopolitical, meaning some of these nation state attacks, meaning many things that happen globally from a, a geo attack perspective, um, but also is there war? Is there is there famine? Is there whatever those things are all gonna tie into what is the risk of another nation taking advantage of this nation and therefore the risk to my business in that nation?
0: Well, I think what you have with that too is not just who are maybe or where might the bad actors be more protected, yeah. but because we have global supply chains and you know you might be a very small organization, but your supply chain might include people all over the world. Exactly. So it's kind of global threat and then it's, where are you doing business globally? And, you know, where might there be opportunities for some of that to be less protected or unprotected?
1: Exactly, Um, there was a couple of factors um, that um, effectively were responded to in terms of the top things that both business and cyber leaders would think about doing to address exactly that, which is, um, I need to more heavily look at my supply chain. Some of the items were the top item in uh, in response to what changes are leaders making in response to the geopolitical risk, strengthen the policies and practices uh, for engaging direct connection with third parties with data access. So we, we know from a decade ago when the Target breach happened that it was one of the supply chain uh, for Target that got compromised and the bad actors came in through that way and stole millions of uh, uh, customer information, including credit card data and so on and so forth. One of the largest PCI breaches on record. And that came through their, their HVAC vendor, um, which back then most people didn't think twice about putting better policies and security. You sent out your standard security um, uh, checklist out to your vendors and said, do you guys do this? and you know, Most of them come back, yes, I do these things, or maybe I don't do this one, um, but no real focus on uh, assessing those policies and risk, third-party risk assessment. So that sounds like that's the number one thing that business leaders are thinking I need to think about more accurately. Um, strengthening the controls with third parties who process data. So now it's not just do you have them, but how, what controls do I have in place to make sure that you're actually doing what you say you do? And, and then a reevaluation of the countries with which the organization does business. So those are the top three things that business leaders and security leaders have decided to pull in mm-hmm. in context of what does this global risk and threat mean to our business and how do I defend us against it?
0: Well, we've said this so many times, right? That, um, you know, the threat landscape becomes so volatile, right? And you've got the risk side of that, but then you've got the opportunity cost side of that because the, the bad guys, their job is to be bad guys, right? And so they are finding constantly ways to get in. Um, there's an opportunity cost for those of us on the other side, right? How long does it take us to develop more protection or to develop the response? And And you've said this, you say this all the time, it only takes them once one place one click one you know and so we have to be so deliberate and so um we have to be looking at this so often i think the days of an annual pen test um you know when we hear people talk about oh i need this annual pen test i always think gosh if you're only looking at this every year um you know god bless you because there, you know, all those other days and what weeks happens of the, the year. other 360 days. Exactly, exactly. So that volatility um globally and the volatility created by um the cyber adversaries has just become so so much more enhanced over the years.
1: Totally agree. Um there's uh there's three um Uh, things that we pulled away from the World Economic Forum. Those three things are that 86% of the respondents believe that there will be a catastrophic event in the next two years. So by 2025, um, almost 90% of the people who responded believe that there's going to be a major global catastrophic event from a cybersecurity perspective. And that effect is going to be felt widespread, not just in a nation state or a company. Um, And are are we prepared for that? 43% 43% um, said that that um, because of that fear, because of that thought, it will have material impact on their business. So those are the first two factors we read at the beginning. And 27% believe that they're uh, that they are today cyber resilient. And cyber resilience is equated to business continuity. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer that I'm cyber resilient, meaning I can defend against an attack, but I can keep doing business right. during an attack. Uh, and I have uh, the ability to continue to operate my business and mock those data. That's only one quarter of the respondents believe that they are cyber resilient. That's that's pretty scary numbers when you think if three out of every four of the people who responded to this don't believe they are prepared to defend against this type of attack. And why is that? Because we all, the answers are pretty uh, common on the back. We all build policies, we all build procedures, we invest in tools, we count on those tools doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, Brian Moody, who is um, uh, our channel chief for cybersecurity, he basically uh, had a conversation with a customer and prospect the other day and the prospect said, we do everything you guys do, there's no reason to talk. And by the end of that conversation, um, they had gone through each of the technologies that that, and, and customer uses. And uh, um, uh, he talked about his EDR solution and said, that product has saved my bacon more times than I can tell you. And he talked about his DNS solution and said, that product has saved my, and and you can repeat that statement across every single category. Um, But then when we showed him the facts, um, when we showed him the MITRE evaluations for that product he's using compared to other products in the market, um, he said, you're the first vendor who sat in front of me and said, These are the facts. We appreciate that. We used to use that tool too, but we no longer do because of the following reasons. And your tool set is not one that can go static. Mm -hmm. All it takes is one miss. That one miss means your business is down because you're encrypted. Um, And we can tell you that that product has more than one miss. Uh, And do you want to find out that it didn't save your bacon when it should have? And, And that's the dialogue we have regularly with customers. And there was a high level of confidence at the beginning of that call. And we're not trying to spread fear, uncertainty, and doubt. We are trying to expose misconceptions in the market. We're trying to um, get past the marketing pitches of all these great manufacturers because their job is sell their product. That's what they're supposed to do. They make something, they gotta sell it, they gotta grow their business. Just like the rest of us, we gotta grow our business. The difference is you've, you've got to partner with somebody who understands all of the technologies, not just focused on one, not just their own, especially because they're incented to tell you they're the best because they have to get their product across the line. So what, what this report, um, and I like to read between the lines for those of you who know me, uh, what this report tells me is that there's a lot of concern that, there's, that people have enough information to make an informed decision about whether their tools are working, their controls are working, their relationships are working, their risk assessments are working. And I would argue that their fear is very well founded because when we go and do risk assessments for customers, when we go and do security health checks, when we go and onboard a new customer, uh, I can tell you that most of them felt much more secure than they ought to have been before we got there. And and it's consistent, it's, um, I would say uh, one out of 100 customers has a solid security portfolio when you engage with them.
0: Well, and we've, we've talked about this um, before, I think in our, our last tech talk, we talked about kind of the shelf life of, of security tools. And exactly. I, I am not the expert here, but I would, I would imagine that of any technology tool out there, security tools have the shortest shelf life.
1: It's the hardest Um, when you build a tool that is writing documents, you write documents, basically the same way you need the same proofing tools. You need the same editing tools. You need better spell checkers, better dictionaries. But at the end of the day, the tool can last a long time Mm -hmm. as evidenced by Microsoft word that has been holding the king position for decades. Um, But when you talk about there is somebody who is attacking that or editor to make sure that they can use that editor as a way to get into your network, to do things that are bad, that's when security tools now have to defend against Mm -hmm. those things. And all of our security tools have been tied around files that have malicious code in them, that are file-based attacks. The world is no longer, as we've talked previously, a file-based attack world. There's some, there's obviously files at some point, but it's the metamorphic attacks that are happening that are really causing the damage because they change, they're, they're like millions. They come in your network looking like one thing and innocuous and they do things that look innocuous if not checked and then they download the bad file and do bad stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, and so you, your tools have to constantly change because they have to understand how to also be metamorphic in the way they defend. And that's why security tools have such a short shelf life. And I have said for when it comes to controls, the tools that implement the controls for security, I've never seen a product that has a longer shelf life than five years. The longest I've seen is five years. So if you've got tools that you've been using for three to four years, you're probably at the edge of your shelf life because that tool was probably already a few years in when you purchased it. Um, So, and manufacturers, no offense or, or threat meant towards them, but they can't possibly keep up because they build based on a foundational mindset when they started. And that mindset is stuck in the technical debt of their platform. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to take that mindset out and put in a whole new mindset. It's like taking and doing brain surgery mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to do put a new brain
0: mm-hmm. in. Well, I think that's why when we talk about our managed security services, um, I see this issue right here as one of the strongest value propositions for an organization who never got into business to be a data security company, right? That you're having to acquire that skill, you're having to spend that money, and if you're able to have someone on the back end evaluating those tools, switching them out, um, you know, you're not tied by your contracts, you're not tied by your renewals. That someone else is handling kind of the longevity and efficacy of those tools. Right. Um, to me, if I'm a business leader, that would be one part of the business I'd love to get out of because it's not one tool, right? It's from from what we know, it's 10 to 20 to 30 security tools that you are having to try to figure out that efficacy path. And what a distraction if you really don't have the... Um, you know, the the team and the budget to put into it.
1: Yep. I uh, 100% agree. There is, um, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with folks and they say, what tool do you use for that? Mm -hmm. And um, we don't expose what tools we use because there's no one tool for any of our services. Um, It's a a platform, it's a portfolio and that portfolio, our portfolio of products is uh, about... Thirty to forty tools, roughly off the top of my head. So we, the the more of those tools you put in play, obviously the more effective they are because you can correlate data, you can correlate telemetry, and you can fine tune and narrow in on what's going on. But um, we, there's no one service that is, you know, just one tool. There's mm-hmm. always multiple components because we believe you can't have a single tool be effective. It's it's like saying that when you put together Uh, When you make a dresser, if you just use tacks or nails, that thing's gonna come apart with age. You've gotta also glue the wood together before you tack it. So you need two binding components to make it Mm -hmm. bind and stay and last. Mm -hmm. And, And so those binding components are important. And our magic, our IP is not building the control tools. It is building the glue between them and the correlation of data between them and the policies and procedures and it's not magic, it's just experience, it's mm-hmm. just knowledge, it's knowing how to take doing this for myself for 30 years, my team doing it for decades, it's, the, it's having that level of experience at your disposal that mm-hmm. makes us different than, you know, a company who's making a tool.
0: The other thing that came to mind listening to you talk through this data and just what the situation is out there for folks um, is how important the network is. And when we think about um, adversaries, when we think about kind of the blocking and tackling that goes into it, when we think about these organizations saying that they believe that something's going to materially happen that affects their organization, um, if I am walking around knowing that someone may break into my home, that's a likelihood, right? I am going to lock down my home in a very different way than if I live out in the country and you know I might put a lock on my front door, but I'm not really worried about it. And when we think about kind of the certainty we have now that it's likely that someone's going to get in, right? We defend ourselves different. And so the network, I think, has um, evolved so much and the risk associated with the network is so different now. Um, and I think not everyone is thinking about that when they're thinking about security.
1: Yeah, it's the network um, historically, excuse me. The network has always been that thing that if it works, we leave it alone. And we can't think like that. It's you can't leave your network static. Um, When you deploy a new application, it's time to think about a network redesign. When you add a new site, it's time to think about a network redesign. When you do an acquisition, it's time to think about a network redesign. When you have a strategy change moving from on-prem to cloud, it's time to think about a network redesign. And a redesign doesn't mean that you're going to rip and replace your network and, and change everything. It means you need to make sure the design that you built for your network a decade ago is still the design that's going to carry you into the next, I'm not even going to say decade, let's just say five years. Um, the like security, the network health, the network capability and capacity and security are critical components of how long your network will last for you. Wi-Fi is changing every year. Uh, The Wi-Fi standards are continuously updating, changing, and we rely so heavily on Wi-Fi in the world, Mm -hmm. we don't think about that it's the weakest point of security in our network. How do you protect against it? Mm -hmm. Those are all factors that people forget. And if we go back to that target breach, The reason that breach happened is because of a lack of segmentation, not because the vendor had a bad network or had bad security. They got in that way, but the reason that that hacker was able to be inside their network for half a year, crawl around and find the crown jewels and take the time to figure out how to grab them and take them out is because they were able to move laterally throughout that entire network and get to the data center, get to the crown jewels and then extract the data and all of that with some notification in the tools, but the team didn't catch it in time and stop Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So if you look back at that reports from that attack, there there was an outsource SOC and the SOC saw it and they escalated and there was no action taken on those escalations. So just knowing isn't enough. Your tools have to do a great deal of work to help protect. And that's where micro segmentation has to be Has to be over the next two years a primary focus for the for everyone, and network assessment and design needs to be a factor for everyone. Mm -hmm. I've got three takeaways from this report. Perfect. Um, The first one was tied very much to what we just said: focus on securing the core. Mm -hmm. Technology is now part of the core, not just a commodity. So we have. You know, Growing up in IT myself and security, IT has always been commodity. And we still think of IT spend as commodity. Security is not a commodity. Security is something that it's, it's not about even exceeding or being better than or achieving additional technology from your competitors. You have to secure your business so you can keep doing what you do, even if you're worse than your competitors. If you want to stay in business, security is a core requirement. So focus on securing the core, that's the network. Um, That's everything that comes up from the network, but start at the network. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing is a talent gap, and it hasn't gone away. It's the the World Economic Forum still believes that that's an issue. And they have two things, uh, uh, with proper technology, uh, addressing the challenges with proper technology so that humans can focus on specialization. Mm -hmm. So automation is a factor there, make sure that You're implementing the controls, the tools, like we just discussed, that are doing what they need to do so that it's not requiring heavy, specialized Mm -hmm. analysts. It's focusing on being able to identify and detect events and then being able to respond to those events. Specialize your team on things like response. Specialize your team on differentiating you from your competitors. Specialize your team on securing your touch in your... um, uh, partners or customers, networks, focus on those things that differentiate you. The second part of that addresses the challenge, um, the talent challenge is uh, training has become critical, uh, but the good news is that you don't have to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And part of that is through this massive ad- adoption of the managed services and managed security services, organizations that are out there that they take on the burden of the talent gap, yeah, they take on the burden of training. Um, my team goes through training constantly. They uh, they have a brutal two month boot camp before they can even sit in front of a screen, and uh, and it's a common joke. We call it our hazing. When somebody comes to the company, that you have to go through this awful training before you can even look at your first screens. Um, we we solve that training gap so our customers don't have to, but it allows you to focus on and specialize on those things that are critical to your business and how your business operates, rather than the what most people consider his commodity, but should be critical in the business process.
0: Well, quickly an example of that, right? We had one customer who received, I believe it was over 2.7 billion alerts in the course of one year. So if you imagine him staffing for that and him trying to have his people sift through all of those, right? What we were able to give him were the 93 alerts that his specialized team needed to action. And so if you can kind of take a look at that funnel and where your people have the most value, that's really what we're talking about there.
1: Exactly, exactly. You can't possibly, without staffing 24 by 7, be able to comb through that amount of alerts. Even with technology, it still takes a lot of human touch to get through that. Um, And then the last takeaway is a shift in mindset. Um, And this is at the C-suite that they're recommending this shift. And it's that cyber resilience is equal to business resilience. Cyber is the same as financial performance. And that's the mindset shift that the World Economic Forum is recommending that uh, businesses take as they're looking at security and cybersecurity so that they can be prepared for this global catastrophic event that uh, 83% of the people think is about to happen.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. Um, and, and we'll wrap up here the way we usually do is, um... Giving you some hope and some resources. Um, you know, certainly we don't share this to, you know, to to scare people. Um, but I guess just to raise the awareness of things probably that you're already thinking about and talking about, which is how do we deal with this growing cybersecurity challenge we've got. Um, Shane mentioned it earlier. We do have um a number of different complementary health checks, whether it be the network, whether it be your security controls, we also do have an economic roadmap that we can help you walk through and plan through, if you look at the tools that you have and if you're wondering about their efficacy, that we can really help you understand um, where you need to focus and what that timing looks like. So, you know, we really do um, want to be a resource for you. We want to help you get on top of both the planning and execution of um, your cyber issues. I don't know if you can hear this. Right, <laughs> Why we for smiling? We have a downpour going on here. Um, Anyway, we will wrap with that. Um, Please reach out to us uh, if you would like to um, participate in any of those complimentary services. We will attach um, the World Economic Forum report to um, this YouTube live stream. So you can uh, reference that if you'd like to. And with that, we will wrap. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next month.
1: Thanks, everyone.